Welcome to Diabet Tech. I'm Justin, and I have type 1 diabetes. But what you may not know is that I also had cancer when I was 21 years old. It was called neuroblastoma. Typically, I talk about diabetes tech news and management here. But today, I wanted to share my story and tell you a little bit about how it changed my perspective of life and how I got to where I am today, and also how I was able to kind of manage that diagnosis of type 1. My very close friend, Clayton Gray, was nice enough to join me on the show to ask me all about that journey and my career of getting into type 1 diabetes content creation. It's a super special episode, and I hope you enjoy it. New episodes of this podcast release every Monday on YouTube and all podcast platforms, so be sure to follow and keep in mind that anything you hear on this podcast or content on my social media and YouTube channel is not medical advice. Always consult with your physician before making changes to your healthcare. Today's episode is sponsored by Omnipod, but in no way does that affect the questions I ask or the opinions that I have. Clayton, oh my God, you're on my podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I know I'm so excited. Thank you for having me on. And um, hello, Diabetech fans. It's so Diabetech. Nice it's Diabetech. Do I say Diabetech again? Yeah, you say Diabetech, and you're not alone. So anyone listening, oh, it's Diabetech, like diabetic. I'm glad that I'm, we could get that out there. <laughs> damn. That's, I don't even have an accent to blame it on, so dang. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I'm so glad that you're here. Um, I guess we've been friends for like at least over 10 years now, which is crazy. A decade. A decade. Yeah. 20, I think we identified um, at Atlanta Pride 2013 was the year we met. So it's been officially yeah. a decade. Yeah. So you know pre-diabetes Justin and then you know diabetes Justin, but you don't know um, the Justin before cancer. Um, which I'm excited for you to kind of get like a little glimpse into, I guess, and like that whole story. Cause it's, it was a surprise to me to hear that you hadn't heard the story really. And we lived yeah. together for a year and a half. I don't know how we didn't cover that. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, I think we were just so focused on like living our best gay lives in, in North of Sunset near West Hollywood that like, it just never, we just didn't bring it up. We really didn't. And when you kind of, told me that you wanted to share the story on your podcast, I had that realization aha moment where I'm like, Oh my God, like, yeah, I don't, I actually don't know anything about <laughs> your story. I'm a terrible friend. So yeah, I'm so excited to, to be here and to, and to listen. So I'm going to try to not interrupt. I, I'm going to try really hard not to, not to do that today. So sweet. All right. <laughs> Give it to me. What do you got for me? Ah, okay. Well, we have to start from the very beginning, clearly. So set the scene. Where were you in your life when you learned about your cancer diagnosis? Yeah, so I was 21 years old at the time. So I was moving out to LA. My dad came and helped me move in. Before that, I had gone to an oncologist after a few other tests because um, they had found like this mass of lymph nodes. Uh, so I went to an oncologist. They didn't know what it was. Uh, so I kept living my life, doing my own thing. And also at the time, I was smoking like a half a pack of cigarettes a day. Uh, so I moved to LA with my, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was a smoker. I ate whatever I wanted. Uh, and so I moved to LA. My dad helps me. He leaves. And then three days later, I got a call. Um, 
I think I had like a voicemail from the hospital. They were just like, please call us back. And then it was my dad who called me um, probably like five minutes after I'd woken up and listened to that voicemail. And he told me that I was going to have to leave LA and come back home because I was diagnosed with neuroblastoma. And he was like, don't look it up. So obviously the first thing I did was look it up. <laughs> Absolutely. Did you WebMD it or did you just like Google? Like, I mean, Google, it definitely brought me to WebMD and it was like, you know, def like, like a very highly fatal cancer <laughs> that mostly like people under the age of like, or the, at the age of two years old get. So it was very rare for me to get. And we had also just found out that the oncologist brought my like biopsy scans, whatever, to like a convention of oncologists to like get it diagnosed because they didn't know what it was. Oh my gosh. Wait. So like what led to you even being tested through an oncologist? Like how did you get to that point? Like was, were you experiencing symptoms? Like were you ill? Like how did you get there? I find it to be luck. So I had had like a burning sensation in my urine and it wasn't like an STI or anything. It wound up, we like it wound up being nothing. It kind of just went away, but that led me to a urologist. The urologist uh, was like, um, we don't see anything. Um, they did have me get a CAT scan. That's when they found the massive lymph nodes and they were like, you need to see, a, see an oncologist. And my like, my parents were like shocked and so afraid. And it's funny because like, I was like, oh, that's funny. Like, I'm just like this little kid that's like, oh, interesting. Like, I don't, that's funny. Like, I'm just, I guess they're just going to like check all the things, you know, like I, I didn't think anything of it. And then, yeah. And then that's kind of where it led to everything else. And is 21, is that like a typical age range for like being diagnosed with that type of cancer? No, or? no. Two years old is really the age of, of people who get it. So when I did go back to New York, I wound up going to Memorial Sloan Kettering, which is like an incredible hospital for um, cancer treatment. And I was on the pediatrics floor. So I was surrounded by all these children. Wow. Uh, I was the oldest person that I saw there. Can you give like a 20,000 foot view for those who aren't familiar with this cancer? Like what is like the, the common signs and symptoms or things that like are, they, you deal with if you're diagnosed with this? I honestly, I have like no idea. I really don't. <laughs> Luckily, I didn't experience any of those symptoms. I really, it was just luck kind of finding it. I have no idea. Like what I can say is that it was like a golf ball sized tumor that was on my spine on like the inside of my spine. So ultimately like with my surgery, they went through the front. Uh, but I have no idea how people get diagnosed or why they, you know, seek out help in that early age. Um, I, I, I assume they get sick, but I was, yeah. I mean, I was seemingly fine. Well, your pee was on fire. So, you know, you had to go to the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then what do you remember the most when you got that like phone call diagnosis, like what, like, what was that moment like for you? Like, what do you remember most about it or what sticks out now? I mean, a lot of things. I think what sticks out to me, um, like the day of my diagnosis was hearing my dad cry for the first time. That was really tough. And I, I think, uh, yeah, that was, that was just made it really even harder for me. 
and scarier for me, hearing my dad so vulnerable, um, that made me worry. And then um, I also remember calling my friend Rebecca after that and her being just such like a great person to talk to at the time. And she spent like three hours on the phone with me that morning. And one really nice thing that happened was at the time, um, you know, my parents were like, do you want to come home now or do you want to like stay the weekend? Because I had just gotten to Los Angeles. I was just starting to make friends in the, in this little like community, you know, and, um, and I was going to have to leave. And I was like, well, I might as well get like one fun weekend in. Right. So I kind of had to like come out with cancer. (laughs) It really, you know, like it really was like, I had to come out about having cancer. It felt like coming out again. So, you know, I kind of just like, first I started with my roommates and then I went like to the RAs who were already notified, but like I talked to them. Then I spoke to like these, like a couple other people who I was starting to become friends with who were like, we were like going to be buds, you know? Um, And I mean, everyone was obviously like very understanding and also wanted to show me a good time. So uh, we made plans to like go out that weekend and I remember the first bar we went to, it was in, so we're in LA, you may have been there. It was in Hollywood, it was called <laughs> Piano Bar. Yeah, oh yeah, I remember. super cute, like, piano bar, and we're in line, and I don't know what, I, I think we must get out the door, and the bouncer asked for IDs, and I feel, I didn't have my ID, or like, I wasn't allowed in for some reason. It had to have been because I didn't have my ID, which is like, super stupid of me. And I say to the bouncer, I'm like, I'm getting into this club. Like I was just diagnosed with cancer and I'm, I'm coming in. Like, I'm not going to take no for an answer. And this is like this, this huge dude. And he like pulls me to the side and he's like, and he like gave me just this like wonderful talk. He was like, you know, my mom like had cancer and it was like, you know, really difficult for us. And he's like, you're going to be better and you're going to come back to LA and we're going to meet again. And, um, he let me in. And then, wow. um, actually when I went back to LA, uh, a year later, I went to the bar and I saw him and it was really nice. Yeah. So I imagine having to come out at like, kind of like publicly and, and inform everybody in your life that you're, what you're going through. Like, how was that? Like, was, was that as uncomfortable as an experience as like coming out as being gay or even coming out that you're diabetic or is, you know, I think people hear cancer and they immediately assume like the absolute worst. So what was that experience like? It got easier and easier to tell people. Like I got more and more numb to like caring about it, you know, Mm -hmm. and then you'd still get that reaction from people of like, like a very personal reaction of like, Oh my God, like, and then they like freak out and like maybe cry. And I'm just like, I can't with that right now. Like, I can't take your sadness right now. That happened a few times um, with some people. Uh, and then you also had the people that kind of like didn't know how to react to it and kind of distance themselves. And, and maybe that's for their own like their own feelings um, or you kind of or like figure out like who actually are your friends. You know, I wouldn't say it was harder than like coming out as gay. I think that was truly hard because I was worried about how I would be accepted. Whereas like no one, I don't think anyone's going to not accept you for having cancer, right? 
Yeah. Um, but it was, um, and it if they do like, whoa, right. <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, I even remember like specifically like my friend, Michael, like him and I, I was like, I was like, I'm going to smoke every last cigarette before I have to stop. And he's like, no, he's like, we're going outside. And like, he can't, he went outside with me and he took all the cigarettes out of my like pack and he threw them down the sewer with me. He was like, no, you're stopping right now. And you know, it definitely bonded me more with other friends too. So what was like your treatment like, like, um, what was the treatment process and how long did it take you to go through that? Well, I really lucked out for cancer. So I went back to New York and then within days I was at the hospital every single day for like full days getting all of the scans. Um, so it was a full week of getting tests and scans, kind of trying to figure out what my status was, how to go about that. So at the end of the week, the surgeon tells us that, or rather the doctor tells us that they can, um, they can do a surgery and they're going to take out the tumor and then we would go from there. It must've been like two days later that they set me up. Um, my surgery was on my mom's birthday. Okay. And, um, and I went and had the surgery. I think I was like on the table for 12 hours or it was a long surgery. And my whole family was like in the lobby. They were like, you know, waiting all day there for me, which was really sweet. I was down for a while. Um, and then when I got up, I remember like, I was like, I was in a car crash. <laughs> like that's like, that's what it felt like. Um, and I remember my whole family being around me, which was really nice. And, um, I must've like put out my hand showing them that I was like, I want to write something down. And they gave me a piece of paper and a pen and I wrote, I love you guys. Oh, that's like all I could do in that moment. Um, and it was, yeah, it was just a really sweet moment. I was, in the intensive care unit for like two days. And then I was in the hospital for a week, like relearning how to do everything. Uh, Cause they took out all of my organs in order to get to the tumor, right? Like the tumor was oh my, God. All my organs. They actually said that I died for like a minute or something. I, I was like flatlined for like a, a, a certain amount of time, a healthy amount. <laughs> Cause I'm fine. Um, but also like, my hypothesis for possibly how I got type one was from this surgery, like kind of my pancreas just, you know, never being the same after. And I think I noticed like getting blood tests after that point, doctors would say your sugar levels are a little elevated. And then I kind of just like put it to the side and was like, Oh, like I'm fine. And eventually it became not fine. Um, but back to the, recovery. So like I, it wound up being one month of recovery that was really tough at home. Um, just everything was difficult and hurt. And then it was another two or three months that like, I just every day really saw improvement in my mobility. Um, and I felt I'd, pretty normal, I think after like four or five months. And I, and I moved back to Boston for a semester. Um, I moved in with Jenna, uh, which a lot of my, who a lot of my listeners know who had mm -hmm. diabetes at the time. 
uh, I did not. Then Jenna and I actually both went to LA for that program the next semester together, which was kind of like, it all kind of worked out. And it also took me nine months. So like after surgery, I'd say after a few months, I started smoking a little bit more again, because like I was just kind of sur surrounded by it at school. And um, it wasn't until nine months later that I officially quit smoking and I haven't smoked since. And I applaud you for that. Yeah. Do you vape? Um, so I'm like totally <laughs> against vaping because, and everyone's doing it. And it's really sad to see like that. There's like a new epidemic of nicotine in people's lungs. And also that everyone's doing it inside, uh, in a lot of places like clubs. And I even see it in the train stations and I've seen it in my apartment at parties, um, where it got to a point where I was like, I give up. I like, I'm not going to tell everyone in this apartment not to vape, but um, I'm going to get like little signs, but, and I also don't like the accessibility I have to it. Cause there's times where I'll take it out of someone's hand and I'll do a little puff and I'm like, I cannot, do, I cannot be doing this. So I don't want to be around it. And I don't, I, I, and I would never start smoking again. Like I really, I feel thankful for having had cancer because <laughs> I quit smoking and I really won't ever smoke again. A quick word from today's sponsor, Omnipod. When I was first diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, one of my biggest fears was wearing an insulin pump and what that would look like. My fears were totally diminished once I started wearing Omnipod. Omnipod is a tubeless insulin pump that could be worn almost anywhere you'd give yourself an injection. What I love most is that I forget I'm wearing it. I never have to worry about disconnecting it for showers or swimming, and when I play kickball or go running, it's super secure. Even better, with Omnipod 5, you get automated insulin delivery by connecting it to a CGM. Omnipod 5 uses CGM trend and value to predict your glucose 60 minutes into the future and makes adjustments to your insulin delivery. If you want to try out Omnipod 5 yourself, you may be eligible for a trial. To check your eligibility and for full safety information and instructions for use, visit omnipod.com diabetic or click the link in today's show notes. All right, back to the show. Can I back to the cancer? Um, what like plans? Obviously, it interfered with your living in LA plans because you immediately had to move back to New York. But were there any other like upheavals that your cancer and that process kind of created for you? Like, were there any other things that you you missed out on as a result of being diagnosed with? cancer. And can you name it again for me? Ne neuroblastoma. Neuroblastoma. I think it's not something that I missed out on, but it's a thought that I had was when I was diagnosed, I was like, I'm 21 years old. I could die from this and I've never been in love. Mm. That was like a, that was a real thought oh. that I lived with. And since then, I think I've realized that I'm surrounded by love. You know, who's to say what love is the love you need to experience by 21. So, um, but that was something that was re that really stuck with me that I was worried that I would miss out on, that I would die and having never like fallen in love with someone. But I think as you get older, you realize that that like Disney romance is not the thing. It's just like people who show you love and surround you um, 
with love and want to be with you is like, you know, who you want to surround yourself with. <laughs> Did you sit down and create like a bucket list, like preparing for the worst? Like I can kind of see you doing something it's like that. <laughs> that. It's funny because that totally is a thing I would do, but yeah. this, it all happened so fast that there wasn't even time to do that. And I think also having only had the surgery and not needing like radiation or chemo and needing to like sit around on that medication and hoping and praying um, that I would be okay. Like I didn't need to do that. You know, there was like, I'd say maybe a week after my surgery where I had to go into scans and, um, but it was all just happening so fast. And then um, we went back to the hospital and we spoke to the surgeon and the doctor and they said that they had gotten it all. And that, you know, I was essentially in the clear, except I would need to get scans for the next five years. And have you been completely, or have you stayed in remission those five years after your diagnosis? Did you have any like repeats? No, uh, five years, I was cancer free. Mm -hmm. And then, so that's, it's been 11 years since the surgery. So for five years, I got the scans. So then it's been about six years since then that I didn't have scans until recently I just had one just cause I've had my own like other sloth of like health stuff. Um, and they kind of just wanted to count it out. And like the good news is it was, it was, I'm cancer free or at least don't have neuroblastoma, which is great. <laughs> That's awesome. And then two was part of the reason for the rush because it is so like, um, maybe it was hard to diagnose and kind of not a common cancer. Was there like a rush from the provider's perspective of like, we got to get in here and get this kid treated like ASAP. I don't, I don't know. I, I think that like, if you have cancer, there just automatically is a rush. Like, I think it's yeah. like, it's like a fast pass at Disney world. If you have cancer, you have the fast pass, right? Like you need to be treated right away because this could be like bad. I, I, I feel like it's that. I don't know. I do know that I'm very fortunate to have had parents who were able to take me to what I think is like the one of the number one places to go for cancer treatment. And I don't know what that involved. My parents never told me. Like, I don't know. Like, was this part of my insurance? Was there an added fee to this? I, I have no idea. They've never, I've never asked. I didn't know to ask that back then either. But I, I'm fortunate to have had parents who like, like, I can't imagine being alone during all of that. Like, yeah, you have friends, but yeah, being on your own as an adult, like not having parents or guardians to like help you through that experience, um, that would have been way more difficult. Oh, and so from your cancer going into remission, um, how long was it until you got diagnosed with diabetes? Well, how, how long in between were you like, I don't have anything, anything going on. I am crystal clear. Let's go. Let's party. Let's do it. I know I was only given, so I was diagnosed two and a half years ago with diabetes. So I got, um, like eight or nine years without anything, <laughs> which was nice. <laughs> Um, I got to hang out with you during that period of time. Um, yes. <laughs> truly no worries. Um, I did put a lot more emphasis on health uh, after the cancer. 
eating healthier, not smoking, um, working out. Like I, I really fell into this, just this like health run. Um, like I said earlier, I definitely had signs that diabetes could be something that's happening with these tests that came back and they were just like, your blood sugar is a little elevated, but I kind of just kept pushing it away, push, pushing it off. And then if I really think back a little bit, I'd say like maybe six years ago, the three years before getting diagnosed, I started noticing like I was peeing way more often than normal. And that is like mm -hmm. a telltale symptom of having diabetes. But that was the main symptom I had for a while. Um, and then it just got worse and worse later on. And like the frequency of urination that I had back then, like I don't have that now. Like it was legitimately the diabetes. So it's crazy to think yeah. that since at least 2015, I had that going on. So it was building up. And that's why I really connect it to the cancer because I don't, it doesn't run in my family at all. And there was this environmental impact, I think, that that caused it. It's just a hypothesis. Wow. It could, you know, people claim that they get it from, they got it from a viral illness. Like that can happen too. Uh, in fact, I just read a statistic from T1D registry that 50% of diagnoses, uh, diagnoses of diabetes type one are in adulthood, which is crazy. And I think that this wow. is like a bigger statistic now than ever because there's just more um, visibility and awareness. Getting diagnosed with type one, did it bring back any of those like fears or feelings that you got when you got that early morning voicemail from your doctor diagnosing you with neuroblastoma? I'd say it was a little different, um, but just as emotional. And I, I can think back to like a story, which is when I like my doctor told me to like go pick up insulin. I was still misdiagnosed as type two at the time, but I was being put on long acting insulin. That was already kind of scary. I was having, I was having a day. I was having issues getting the medicine that I needed. And I finally get to a pharmacy that's going to give me the medication, the insulin. I pick it up and they give it to me and they're like, this needs to stay cold. So just put this in your refrigerator when you get home. And that like shocked me. I now have a disease where the medication I need to survive needs to be refrigerated. Mm. Yet like, right? Like it feels like a yeah. handcuff, you know? And, yeah. and so I freaked out. Um, I went in the car driving home. I was living in Palm Springs at the time with Toby. This is during COVID. And I cried like the whole way home because um, I had just gone on um, a road trip with David to come see you actually. You were, you uh, were yeah. part of that road <laughs> trip. Um, and I was kind of thinking back to that, like I'll never get to go on a road trip again. Like how, how could I ever do that? You know, these are all just like thoughts that are going through my head. And I was a very emotional day. And it's also when I started, I'd say like a couple days later is when I started making TikToks of me taking long acting insulin, which then led to people finding my videos, getting me the type one diagnosis I needed, and then like being here today, right? So it's wow. funny like how my cancer gave me this entirely new appreciation of life and changed my perspective of like how I view it, like living every day to the fullest. And that can mean 
chilling on your couch all day, watching TV, playing Fortnite, whatever it is, as long as you appreciate that you are alive that day and, and I think that that's like just a special thing to feel. And, and I do every day I, I live like, it's just like, it's really special to me. And, um, and it changed me for the better. It moved me in, in whatever direction I needed to move in. It, it, it made me a lot more mature than anyone my age that I knew, which was also like its own difficulty. Like I just didn't really um, connect with other 21 year olds anymore who were like running around drinking as much as they can. Um, like I just didn't want to do that as much. And then with the type one, um, it was very emotional and it led me to where I am today. Like I, I, I think the type one part of me is like special in a way, like it, it almost feels like a calling now that I found this platform. Um, and I wouldn't want to give it back. I wouldn't want to give back either of them, which is crazy, but I'm happy. I'm proud of where I am today because of both of them. Absolutely. And I think it's so interesting that viewers on TikTok helped you actually correct your diagnosis. What were like the, like the call outs were people were making the connection for you to say, uh, 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 they got this wrong. Like go back. <laughs> what were yeah, those well, like call outs? Well, so at the time I was taking a drug called metformin, which is used to like control type two. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I started taking long acting insulin. So I was testing my blood sugar. So I'd get, I'd come on screen and be like, Hey, I'm Justin and I'm a newly diagnosed diabetic and I'm going <laughs> to test my blood sugar today. <laughs> and like, I didn't have my shirt on and I was so skinny. And what I hadn't realized, um, until like my friends started telling me at the time, cause it was COVID. No one saw me during COVID. Like I had two people that like, and didn't even think I saw a friend and they were like, you have lost a lot of weight. So I weighed myself and I was like 20 pounds lighter than I normally would be. So mm. I was physic, I was like visually like a skeleton. So I would come on camera to all of these people on TikTok and be like, I'm testing my blood sugar, showing them it's like 350, which is way higher than it needs to be. And then you see me, I'm a twig. So it's like, there's, how does this kid have type two? You know, so I feel like people who know what type one is, they saw me and instantly know. You just know, like I could call it out now. Yeah. And so they were like, you need, you have type one, you need to get an endocrinologist, you need to get the C peptide test, which tests for antibodies that if they're present, you have type one. Um, and then, um, I need to get a pump, a CGM. And then I, even at the same time when I was getting these diagnoses, I posted a video on my tech YouTube channel, Justin tech. And I gave like a little update on like what's been going on. And a bunch of people there also said, they were like, you should really look in to see if you have type one tons of comments on there. And then there were also people saying, you should look into getting into diabetes technology. They're like, there's so much of it and you'd be really good at it. And it's a good niche. Um, and I was a little like combative at first. Like I was like, I don't have type one. I have type two. It's reversible. I don't need to talk about diabetes tech. I love what I'm doing. But then the TikTok stuff really got me going. I was like, okay, 
they have a point. <laughs> so uh, I reached out to an old colleague who had type one. She connected me with a fantastic um, place in LA uh, with a great doctor and also my diabetes educator, Mary Rose, who like really helped me um, get on track. And she's been on the show a few times. Yeah, but like, I really owe the diagnosis and like, doing it immediately because of them. Wow. I had I not gone on TikTok, I would have been in T type two limbo for a lot longer, I think. Is that dangerous for a type one diabetic? Like life threatening in any way? Yeah. You can go into what's called DKA, diabetic ketoacidosis, which means there's too much too many ketones in your body, which yeah. happens when like there's too much sugar in your in your blood a lot of people find out they have type 1 because they go into DKA and then go to the hospital wow. so you know I was working my way up there my sugar levels were 300 400 but uh, I think people sometimes go to the hospital when they're like 600 700 so wow. you know I was getting there though like I, I, I'm sure in like a few more months I would have I would have been there I was drinking you know pina coladas and all that stuff and feeling really sick Really sick. Mm. Yeah. And like you and I hadn't seen each other. Like <laughs> like a lot of people hadn't seen me. So I feel like you and a lot of other people kind of missed out on that whole journey. It kind of just happened. Um, and then uh, as the world started opening up more, um, I was like, I had to come out as type one. <laughs> and how was, how was your mindset like? changed through all of this because getting a diagnosis for cancer at 21 I definitely puts I can see how that would put things into perspective where you're like yeah I gotta have that live for every day that I'm alive kind of attitude then to follow it up with eight years later you know hitting a new road bump like how's your mindset fluctuated that you know talk to me a little bit about like some of your struggles or your champion moments that you're really proud of with that. Yeah. I mean, I think the first thought that came to my mind with the diabetes was like, I thought I had my thing, you know, like I thought cancer was my one thing, my one big thing. You know, I, I think what I, what I realized was that these one things make you stronger in some way. So I wasn't as scared about the diabetes mm -hmm. as I was about cancer. And it's still a scary thing, but I think having had the cancer fright, that was just so much more monumental, I think, to me, because you're right. Like what you said earlier is like when you hear cancer, you think the worst. Absolutely. Um, whereas for diabetes type one, after I thought about it for a little while, I realized like I know people with type one. I dated someone with type one. My best friend Jenna has type one. My colleague had type one. <clears throat> and then there were like a cover up a couple other people that I just like knew in my ether that had type one. Like all of these people were living lives and, and had never to me seemed like they were limited lives at all. Right. So I'm glad that I had those people come in and out of my life that I can think back to and be like, I'm going to be fine. Um, but that's not to say that like diabetes isn't difficult and especially I'd say that first year is very tough. 
there's a lot to learn and a lot of mistakes to be made. You still make mistakes. You do the best you can. And um, I feel very lucky to have come into the whole world at a time when the technology is so advanced and it can make things way easier than it once was. Like I'd never had to experience that. So that's yeah. great. This still, this diagnosis of type one is still a very difficult thing for a lot of people to experience. Um, and that's completely understandable. Like it was difficult for me and not everyone had the luxury of having cancer so that it wasn't as bad, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, th it's a very tough moment for a lot of people. And I think what's so great is that I've found the power of social media. And I think a lot of other people have, and people listening to this have. So, um, I think everyone's doing the right thing by just kind of like surrounding themselves by other people like them that can make them feel less alone. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just really proud of like what I've been able to accomplish even with these, um, these obstacles. Yeah. It's kind of wild. I'm just, you know, being your friend and just someone who's so important in my life. It's so awesome to see you take something that could easily knock someone off their horse and you have just turned it into a freaking rodeo. So like, I am so proud of you for all that you've done with this. And uh, I'm so excited to see how you continue to grow and evolve from here. You, you said something earlier though, that uh, now I have this like little nagging question in my head that I have to ask. You had mentioned, you know, no, I have type two diabetes. When you originally got diagnosed, you're combative about it. And you're like, because it can be reversed. If you had to pick, if you had a magic wand right now and you could switch from being a type one diabetic to a type two, would you? That's a cool question. Um, I mean, it's a tough question. It's like type two is, I think for the like it's reversible if with like, a better diet and exercise. Um, and I'm up for that challenge. You know, <laughs> I love eating. I love to eat healthy and I love to work out. So I don't think I'd have a problem with that. Um, I just love what I do now. And yeah. if I were to switch to type two, and I guess I could create a community over there, but it's like, there's just something really special about the community that I found. So um, like I said earlier, I, I just don't, I wouldn't want to give it, give it back. I'm fine with it. And it's getting easier and easier, especially with technology. Also yeah. though, I do have that luxury of having access, which not everyone has. Right. So this is a very like personal answer. Like, whereas there's probably a lot of other people that don't have the access to the technology that I do, that it would be much easier for them to not even need it. Yeah. No, I, I can, I can see that for sure. And then if for those who are like newly diagnosed type one diabetics, similar to you later in life into their more, you know, mature young adult years, what would you say is, or, or what, what would you encourage them to do or to listen to or to follow uh, to kind of get to the place you are now? from a mindset perspective and then a knowledge perspective too. I think what's helped me get better and better about managing diabetes and also be a little less hard on myself um, is I think of diabetes as like a video game where um, you're, you're always getting better at it because you're always practicing it. 
but you can make mistakes. You can lose a life, not not a literal life, but like you can you can have a bad day. You can lo- you can have a, a bad day and you lose that day, whatever. Um, but you keep getting back up and you keep improving. And then there's websites where you can learn more about how to manage it. There's so much information out there, including what I put out there. Of course, you need to check your sources for a lot of it, but there's just so much good like opinion stuff and and um, apps, food like carb counting apps. There's so much out there that can make your life easier. You just need to know that it exists by doing the research. And I've done a lot of research. I read the book Think Like a Pancreas um, by Gary Shiner, who's come on, come on the show a few times. Um, it's an incredible book. It tells you all about how to think like a pancreas, like reading that alone. And I read that at early diagnosis. So like I learned so much so quickly about how insulin works and, uh, insulin to carb ratios and insulin sensitivity factors, all these terms and the numbers and conversions. So that combined with going to my diabetes educator and getting as much information as I could out of her, um, and practicing it, right? Every time I eat mm-hmm. pasta, seeing how it affects me, using a continuous glucose monitor to monitor that. If it didn't work that time, okay, next time it's going to be this many carbs. Um, keeping a little log in my notes. Like there, there's so many ways that you can get better and better at this. Uh, you just need to find like the ways that work well for you. Um, and then there's so much support out there like me and other people online and diabetes educators who are a great resource and with my insurance at the time, it was free. Diabetes education appointments were free. So I was going to Mary, uh, Mary Rose once a week. Yeah, you wow. know, no, I was going twice a week at one point, two 30 minute wow. sessions a week. And it became like this fun little exciting thing to do with her and, and be like, okay, this is how my week went. This is what happened. I was so over- overwhelmed, Clayton, when this first, like th- you are thrown all of this information and you're told if you mess up, you'll get so low and dizzy that you could pass out. Yeah, like, right? Like that is like, that is what could happen if you mess up. And it's so easy to mess yeah. up. I was just waking up in the middle of the night, having a low, running to the fridge and eating like crazy. And I didn't fully understand what was happening. It was very new to me. And, and yeah, I lived with a friend, but like, I still felt pretty alone in that in this experience. And I'm so fortunate that I had Mary Rose, a diabetes educator. Um, and I think if you haven't had one yet, it's time to, to look into it with your insurance. And if you don't have insurance, um, even worth looking into how much they cost, um, you know, outside of insurance. Yeah. Wow. For, is there like a high percentage of people that, have a comorbidity with diabetes and cancer at the same time? Like, are there, is there a large population of people who potentially could be listening to this that are type one diabetic that have comorbidity or comorbidity, comorbidity with types of cancers? I have no idea. I know that there's a relationship between a like autoimmune diseases. Like a lot of Mm. people who have type one also have celiacs or celiac Mm. disease. Um, I don't know about cancer. I haven't heard a relation between the two. Um, for me, I just think like surgery related, it was caused by that. And I haven't even really heard stories about that. I'd be curious if, if anyone, you know, has had that happen and they think that that's what 
caused their type one? I'd be very curious. Please comment if you have. Um, and then the viral illness is another big thing. A lot of people say that they had COVID and then got type one after that. For the record, I had COVID after I was diagnosed with type one. Did you ever run your theory from your, like your surgical experience of, of why you think that that could have led to your uh, D one diagnosis? Um, did you ever run that by your endocrinologist? Like, did they give an opinion? I think I mentioned it, but no one was like, oh my God, yes, that's, that's the cause. You know, mm -hmm. there really just isn't, there isn't, um, the research on that, that I know of. They just say it's environmental, you know, lots of different types of environments, all this, you know, fumes we're inhaling, um, who knows all the food we're eating. Like mm -hmm. we really don't know, but, um, it is crazy to think that 50% of diagnosis, um, diagnoses, I need to figure out that word, um, <laughs> our adulthood that just like shocked me. And it, it's also why I do what I do. Like I, I try to spread awareness of like how I was diagnosed later in life. Yeah. Cause prior to you telling me about your, about having diabetes, really my knowledge was really limited to type one diabetics being children and like being lifelong, uh, lifelong afflicted from childhood and then type two, you know, or any adults being diagnosed later in life, it's because of lifestyle choices. And so like, uh, it has been such a wild, like mind switch for me to even accept that, oh yeah, you can, you can be a type one diabetic and have lived 28 plus years and like, just, you know, kind of had, or we're, we're living on borrowed time and kind of lucked out as far as like when it hit. So yeah, it's okay. coming for you next. <laughs> Don't you dare put kidding. that budget. I've got enough going on. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We could be diabetes brothers. But also, but like, if that does happen, <laughs> thing, I was just about to say, if that did happen, like one, I'd, I would be totally fine with it because I'd have you as a support system and that would just like make us even more like connected. And then two, like, yeah, like how can I how can I not watch you and see what you've made of all of this and not go, Oh, I can do that too. So uh, I think it is so awesome that you put yourself out there in the way that you have and, and it has become just a role model for people to look up to and to aspire to and to like take adversity and be like, huh, no, going to make this like a new life path for me. How about that? So catch me on TikTok. How about that? You know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for talking about this with me. I'm glad that we could share the cancer story with everyone. I had posted on Instagram that I was cancer free and everyone was like, oh, like, what's your story? Like, tell us. And I was like, okay, well, the podcast could, could be a good opportunity for that because there really is overlap between the cancer and the type one, just like a change in viewpoint and uh, lifestyle because of it, you know, I'm very happy with the way I've handled both and the way they've shaped me and the way they've made me, you know, I think that they've also shaped me, made me want to be more of a go-getter, at least the cancer. Like, let me, let me succeed in what I can now, because who knows if I'll, you know, be able to do what I want to do later in life. Like, let's just do it now. <laughs> Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me on. And you know, giving me the opportunity when you told me you wanted to do this, it really did hit me. I'm like, I know he had cancer. I like have no details about this whatsoever. So I was really excited to kind of learn the story 
firsthand and then also doing it in this in this environment of, of doing a podcast which is also my first time doing a podcast so yes. how about that so thank <laughs> you so much seriously of course yeah i'm glad we could do this um it is about that time um do you want to go play fortnite <laughs> uh yeah i've got two hours till bedtime so yeah okay. absolutely okay. let's do it <laughs> so we're gonna go we're gonna go play fortnite uh it's our little video game that we play at night um and yeah Thanks for coming on. Thank you. You guys have a great night. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I'm glad that I could share this story with you and I hope it resonated for some of you. And ultimately, I hope that you take whatever obstacles or challenges that you've gone through, that you're going through right now, realize that those are going to make you stronger. You are going to come out of it. And when you do, you're going to have learned so much. So I kind of hope that you took that away from today's episode. New episodes of this podcast release every Monday on all podcast platforms and on YouTube. I've got new videos every other Friday on YouTube and social videos are dropping almost daily with news and kind of just experiences that I go through and, and how I manage my type 1 diabetes. So be sure to check all of those links are down in the show notes. I'm Justin and I'll see you next week.